0: This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment.
1: What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon swanee Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. And for the first time in forever, for the first time in forever, I can say, Brandon, that we have no football on the podcast. Usually, None. I believe, for since maybe forever, like I said, we've had one football topic, and it's been like, oh, here's basketball, or like, oh, we're in basketball season. Okay, here's two basketball, but we have a football topic here. It's all basketball today. Talking a couple March Madness segments. Going to be diving in to the NBA draft, looking at Colin Sexton and Trey Young, but we're going to be previewing the or reviewing the preview that the committee came out with their bracket of their top 16 seeds. Then we're going to have Matthew, our loyal patron on, to talk about one-and-done teams and success with those teams in college basketball. And then, like I said, we're talking NBA draft, Young versus Sexton, to round out the podcast. A little bit of housekeeping. I was almost going into it, but a little bit of housekeeping. First off, patreon.com, you want to be like Matt. Check out the link down below. It's how you support us. That's in the description also. Also, Check out our store. It's how you can buy our MVP t-shirt. That link is also down below in the description. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or you have Apple Podcasts or iTunes is what I call it, make sure to go and give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. And then last but not least, go check out mostvaluablepodcasts.com. It has everything that you'll need, everything that we post. All you got to do is bookmark it. Check that out each and every day, and you will get all the MVP content that you like and that you need. But Brandon, now we can get into it. I'm so excited. I wanted to get into it early. The bracket is out. Well, the preview of the bracket is out and how it breaks down. And for my YouTube watchers, I'm going to try to put the bracket up right now. The one seeds for the committee as of February 11th, we got Villanova, the top number one seed. They're in the east. Virginia is in the south. Purdue is in the West. Xavier is in the Midwest, and you guys can kind of see where the rest of those teams are. I'm just going to ask you, Brandon, to start. Looking at this, looking at the preview that the committee came out with, what are your thoughts looking at the top 16 teams?
2: Well, my thoughts to start things off are that Villanova, Virginia, Purdue are not surprises to me mm-hmm. at number ones. The surprise to me is Xavier. I don't know if that was surprising to you, but I guess I haven't been following Xavier mm-hmm. as much. I have followed the other three uh, pretty closely, but Xavier, I, I did not look at them as a number one. So when I saw them at number one in the Midwest, I thought, Oh wow, the Xavier team, I guess, is pretty good this year. Well, I mean, Xavier, and, and remember Z- where Xavier was last year in the tournament, they were like 11. True.
1: And I mean, flying to if you're not watching all of college basketball, like if you're not in the thickets of it, like you said, could fly under the radar this year, but 23 and 3 overall. Eleven and two in conference, they're technically the number one seed in the Big East right now, and they've got wins over. I want I say Wisconsin, but like what's a win to Wisconsin this year? But they their only loss in non conference was to Arizona State right before Arizona State got really good and were ranked, but they beat a ranked Cincinnati team early in the season, a ranked Baylor team. That Cincinnati team is actually in the top sixteen, so that's a tournament win and their only losses in conference have been at Providence and at Villanova. Now, they're going to replay Providence and Villanova later in the year at home, but those have been their only two losses. Yeah, they've had overtime wins against Georgia and Butler, but they both won those two games. My biggest surprise of it wasn't necessarily the Xavier part. It was, to me, I... Villanova. I find it funny that Villanova, Virginia, and Purdue all have one big loss that has happened to them in their last game coming in. We were at Buffalo Wild Wings watching the Virginia one. We didn't stay for overtime, but we watched the end of regulation for that one. They lose to VT. Purdue loses on a final shot from Miles Bridges. They lose to Michigan State. Nova, the one I'm talking about, is they lose probably the worst loss of all they lose to St. John's, and to me, that was the big surprising factor because I look at it and I go, of course we talk about this with basketball all the time where it's like, you know what? You don't want it to be where, all oh, one loss keeps you out, but if we're talking about just number one seeds with how closely these teams are, you've got Villanova who overall, I'm just going to use overalls at this point, 23 and 23-2. Overall, you have Purdue, who is 23 and 23-4. So it's like I guess they have, because they played two more games, they have two more losses. And then you have Virginia, 23-2, and two, the same record as Villanova. I don't know about you. If I was the committee, I would actually have Virginia as maybe my top seed because if we're just going off of what happened in the last game, of course, that's not what they do. They look at the whole thing, but I'm going to use that as an example. I would take a loss to Virginia Tech as a better loss than a loss to St. John's, who is two and eleven in the Big East right now.
2: So you're just counting Purdue out. Well, I mean Purdue because to me, if you're because if you're looking at those, if you're looking at the three yeah. teams of Purdue, mm-hmm. of Virginia, and of Villanova, the team I'm taking is, is Purdue, Purdue because their loss to Michigan State. Was a was a was I don't want to say it was a mm-hmm. it wasn't surprising, but th- those two teams, both very very good teams, Virginia Tech not ranked mm-hmm. and Saint John's not ranked. So when you look at that, if you're going to base it off of a ranking and off of a very tough opponent, mm-hmm. Villanova should have beat Saint John's. Duke should have beat Saint John's. Yeah. Let's be honest about it. Virginia they It was a night where they didn't really have any offense, their no. defense, which it it's always, always is very good, but Virginia Tech did a great job of playing defense that mm-hmm. night and just had a little bit more offense. Both teams didn't need a lot, mm-hmm. but that's where I would look at those three and I'd say purdue purdue well, is Purdue is the team that I'd be taking out of those three here's the reason based off their last loss.
1: Here's the reason why I kind of pushed Purdue. To the side, because first off, you have four losses. Now, the thing you can argue is, yes, you have four losses, but three of those losses, one to Tennessee, this was before they were ranked, look at where Tennessee is now within this top 16. You have Ohio State that's in this top 16, Michigan State who's in this top 16. So you can look at it and go, whoa, 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 whoa. We lost by a total of five combined points between Ohio State and Michigan State could have easily won both of those games. Those were one-score games. And we lose by, how many did they lose by? Again, three points in overtime to Tennessee. Like, oh, whoa, we're playing these tournament teams closely. If I'm just looking at Villanova-Purdue, so right now I'm lining those two up. Purdue has more losses, and the one head-to-head matchup that they have, when head-to-head I mean they both played Tennessee and Western Kentucky, Purdue lost to those two teams, Villanova beat those two teams. Then if I bring Virginia into it, it's like, okay, Villanova's two losses, Virginia's two losses, this is where it gets interesting because you lose, if you're Villanova, you lost 101 to 93 to Butler and then 90 and 79 to 75 to St. John's. Whereas Virginia's two losses are a seven-point loss to Press Virginia, and then a, what, one-point loss in overtime to Virginia Tech. The West Virginia one was on the road. So I would look at it and go, those two losses, more impressive to me than Butler and St. John's. More so, St. John's, I think, should be a scar, and that's the reason why I was surprised at Villanova, the top seed. Not that they shouldn't be a one seed at all, just the top seed, but I guess Purdue and Virginia or yeah, Purdue and Virginia losing this past weekend didn't help them out. If one of those teams won, maybe they would have been the top seed coming into today's podcast.
2: No, it it definitely didn't help them out, but I would I would try and, and make the case that Purdue actually could be the top seed mm-hmm. in there because I mean when you when you take a look at them and you take a look at their schedule yes I know that they lost to Ohio State and Michigan State back to back games mm-hmm. that does not help but you win two you win two very good games and I understand where they're at Michigan you win two very good games against Michigan two very very tough games Michigan literally brought everything they had in both of those games and Purdue wins both of them then you also look earlier in the season, you'd beat a, a at the time a seven number seventeen ranked Louisville team. At the time you blew out a number two ranked Arizona team. You've been you've really been taking care of business in a conference that's honestly at, at the top of it. Ohio State, Michigan State, Purdue. Those teams are very, very good in the Big Ten, especially since the Big Ten has been probably at one of its weakest points mm-hmm. uh, within the last couple of years this season they uh they've probably been the weakest that they that I've seen them uh, really before they lose to those top two teams I get it but Purdue is still better than that they're still better than that I I, I just I like what I've seen from the boilermakers they're one of those teams where as as I've said before, they're one of those teams where you know that they're probably gonna be always sniffing out at least an Elite Eight. And they 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 can get there. They just haven't gotten over that hump yet. But that's why I think you can make the the case that, that Purdue could be the number one overall, even though, even though I know they've lost those last two uh games, but mm-hmm. those two losses are still better than some of the losses that you're throwing out there for Villanova or for Virginia.
1: Well, and that brings me to my second surprise. So first off, I'm like, you know what? I don't know if if Villanova would be my top seed. I would probably go, if I'm ranking the top seeds in order, just of what the committee gave us, I would still go Virginia, Villanova, Purdue, and Xavier. The big question that I had was, and I am saying this how I'm saying this for a reason, The slap in the face that the committee gave to the Big Ten. Just slapped them in the face with their glove. Because, to me, look at the two-line. Cincinnati, Duke, Auburn, and Kansas. I'm going to ask you, Brandon, if you had to pick one of those teams not to be on the two-line, who would you pick? Who would you pick? Who do you think I'm thinking of in my head? To not be on that two line, I wouldn't
2: put Kansas. I would not
1: put Kansas on that two line. How is Michigan State or Ohio State not on the two line? Neither of them are like Michigan State is probably the most egregious being on the three You know what? You know Ohio State on the four. Like I just don't get that part. Ohio State is ahead in the Big Ten standing wise of Michigan State, but Michigan State's a three. I get you beat Purdue. That's a big win. You technically beat the one in the tournament, but. I'm looking at Kansas right now. 19-6. and six. You have six losses. You just lost to Baylor, who is not what they were in the beginning of got, the year. You
2: got blown out by Baylor.
1: You lost to Washington, who ain't what they used to be with Markel Fultz, or before the season when they lost Michael Porter Jr. Like, the Arizona State loss, okay, that's good. Like, that's a good loss. Uh, Oklahoma, I'm not going to— I'm not going to harp on you there, but Oklahoma State, Baylor, Washington, games you should have won this point in the season. And I know that we were talking about the Big 12 before. Tough conference, that plays into it. How are you ranking the conferences? But I look at the Big 10 and I look at Michigan State and I look at Ohio State and I go, how are not one of them on the two line? Michigan State's, what, three losses this year? Mm -hmm. Their first one came. Me and you saw this game. Duke. Duke. And Grayson Allen went off in that game. Went off in that game. Grayson Allen doesn't play. They don't win that game because Marvin Bagley wasn't even playing that game. He got poked in the eye and couldn't play the rest of that game. They only lose by seven. Your next loss? You go into Columbus and get dominated. However, Ohio State is the team above you in the Big Ten. So if you look at it that way, okay, maybe you should lose that game. And then your third loss is a loss to a rival. So how I would look at it is Michigan and Oklahoma are pretty much on the same tier. I'll put Ohio State and what's the other loss I said that was okay for them? And Texas Tech on the same tier, because Texas Tech is in this top 16 also. But then I look at the non-conference losses. Duke compared to Arizona State and Washington, I would easily put, I mean, Ohio State could be there too, but they kind of had a rough going, losing to Gonzaga, losing to Butler, losing to Clemson. Yeah, I know Clemson and um, Gonzaga are good teams but also a loss to Penn State probably doesn't help them. My biggest gripe with the two-line is I would take Kansas, move them to the three-line where Michigan State is, and I would put Michigan State in that two-line and have my twos be in order of south to midwest, Cincinnati-Duke, Michigan State where Kansas is, and then Auburn in the midwest, or switch it up so you don't have Purdue and Michigan State in the same region.
2: In all honesty, what you could, what I could see even mm-hmm. happening— you move Michigan state to the 2 mm-hmm. move them out of the south to the west move Ohio state from the 4 to the 3 move Kansas from the 2 to the 4
1: i i mean the big thing with Kansas is they I, have
2: 6 losses well, they are 19 and 6 they're not 20 and 4 they're not twenty-two mm-hmm. or twenty-three and two. Mm-hmm. They're nineteen and six. This isn't Kansas of no, last year or two years ago. This isn't I mean we cannot sit around mm-hmm. and pretend like just because their name is Kansas that they can sit at a two line. Mm-hmm. I mean, quite honestly, I realize that this is early, but when you talk about uh kind of a, a snub for a couple of teams and Kansas just getting there from name re- name recognition only. I mean, that's pretty blatantly obvious.
1: You know what I forgot to say before we started talking about the uh, the two line, and I'm saying this late. Patrick earmuffs. He doesn't want to hear this. Doesn't want to hear us ragging on his J Jayhawks no, like No, but this. I I but would I would love to. I would hold
2: hold on. I would love to hear. What his comments are mm-hmm. if he if he would agree with us? I mean, obviously I think he, he seems like a obviously guy. at nineteen and six, you've mm-hmm. got to be like, well, man, that's nice that they gave us the
1: two, but and that's the one thing I want to throw out there is I'm seeing a little bit of inconsistency in this top sixteen with the committee because just look at the two. I know there's three Big Twelve Big Twelve teams. I think there's only three um, with Oklahoma, Kansas. And Texas Tech, but I only want to look at Oklahoma and Kansas. I'm going to ask you trivia style, what do you think is the inconsistency I'm looking for, that I'm looking at with this when it comes to how they rank Kansas compared to how they ranked Oklahoma? What do you think I'm going with here? How is Oklahoma played of recent? The the
2: fact that Oklahoma, they also have what? They have six losses, Mm -hmm. and they're— they're at the four. Kansas has six losses. They're at a two. Is that what you're trying to well, get the, at?
1: Not exactly, but you're on the right path. Where Oklahoma right now, as we're recording this, is sixteen and eight.
2: Or they don't have six losses. Yeah, they have eight, because they've now last lost their last couple.
1: Now I'm gonna say they've had some good wins winning on the road at number three, Wichita State, beating number twenty-five. USC beating number 10 TCU on the road, beating that same TCU team at 16 winning against number eight, Texas tech. But what I'm seeing here is if you're going to punish a team for, let's say what date am I using? So since right before my birthday, since January 16th till now, this is how many wins Oklahoma has two for my audio listeners. They have two wins compared to one, two, three, four, five, six losses, two and six in their last eight. I look at this and I go, how can you have a team and say, okay, Oklahoma, you're on the four line probably because of this two and eight skid or two in six skid right now. But Kansas, you're Kansas. Stay there. You want me to get me? You want me to get you some water? Kansas. Are you okay? Are you okay? Kansas? Are you Okay. Okay, you're good, but I, let me let me go and reprimand Oklahoma for a second because they haven't been playing that good. Let me tell them why they're on the four line. That's what I'm getting from this, and I don't understand. That's an inconsistency to me. Why is Kansas on the two line and Oklahoma's on the four line? I'm not disagreeing that Oklahoma shouldn't be on the four line, but if Oklahoma's on the four line, Kansas should be not on the two, maybe three at top.
2: Because Kansas has three more wins and two less mm-hmm. losses. I mean, I think that, you know, that that would be the reason why they're they're separated. Mm -hmm. But I still don't think it's enough to put Kansas at the two, especially when Michigan State's at the three and they've they've got a better record. They've played better Mm -hmm. this season. And Ohio State and maybe Ohio State is right at the four. But Kansas certainly is probably a bit too high at a two. And again, I know we're getting like excited and That's passionate you over, you over a very early um bracket preview mm-hmm. on February eleventh. We're not even in March yet. But it's it's the fact that you look at what Kansas has done this season, and just by again, like I said, I feel like by name recognition alone of it mm-hmm. being Kansas, you have it's like they put them at a two. It's like they had to put them at, at a two, at a high seed. Just because it's Kansas and going off of what they've done in the past, and I realize that Kansas has played some good games this season, and they started off the season strong, but they have scuffled as of late, and so has Oklahoma, like you said, like you mentioned. But when you have a Kansas team mm-hmm. losing to Baylor the way they lost to Baylor, that ain't a, that. That is not a two seed.
1: Let me flip it to another two line team. I want to ask you about Auburn. They're also on the two line. Yeah, I'm going to ask you this. Should Auburn even be on the two line right now? Because, yes, they're 22-3, and which, looking at that record, a lot more respectable of the two line than Kansas. But I could see someone having a gripe that Auburn is on the two line only because it comes from a – your losses come to Temple early in the season and you lose by – you lost by eight points, so it wasn't double digits. You lose to Alabama on the road, you lose to Texas Tech by one point. The Texas Tech won, I'll give you because they just beat Kentucky to a skidding Kentucky team. But your only team your only wins against ranked teams came to Tennessee and Arkansas. Like you look at Auburn's out of conference schedule, I'm gonna run through their out of conference for you, Brandon. You tell me if you're impressed by this. Norfolk State, I, Indiana I'm already, State. I'm already impressed. Temple, that was your loss. Hofstra, Winthrop, Dayton, George Mason, Gardner Webb, UAB, Middle Tennessee, Murray State, Yukon, Cornell. That was their out of con- that was their non conference before they hit SEC
2: play. I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> I mean whoa and they lost one of those games too yeah those were weak uh those were not good but I, I think that you do have to give you have to give respect to for being Auburn and three and for being 10 and two in their in their True. conference I mean you have to uh especially when you when you look at teams and you've got Tennessee who has been surprisingly good this mm-hmm. year um Florida. Florida hasn't been what they have been. They're 17 and 8. They're 8 and 4 in their conference, but still Florida has been a good team and they've showed they've showed flashes of being pretty good this season, mm-hmm. but then also flashes of not being so good when they got up. So remember the game when they got up so big on Duke yeah. and then they just kind of just threw that away. But I think that that's why Auburn's getting the respect that they're getting. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have to I mean, they're just gonna they're gonna have to finish their season out strong. If they can beat Kentucky, I, I'll, I'll be I'll be a believer that Auburn's you know really trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can beat Alabama the next time they play them at home, if they beat Florida on the road, I mean they have they have some games here that are going to decide are they going to be a, a top seed come tournament time, or is Auburn right now just having a good time playing in the sandbox? But, you know, when it comes time, are they going to be, you know, are they going to be kicked out by the bigger kid? Well,
1: and that's why I'm going to go back, and this is the last thing I'll say. The first thing you said about Auburn actually made me go back to the first point that I made. Slap in the face to the Big Ten. Because the first thing you said was, well, you know what? Might not have had the best non-conference, but we got to give them respect for being 10-2 and two in their conference. All right, Then where's the respect for Ohio State being thirteen and one, and one of those thirteen was number one Michigan State? Like I, I I get that's not a non-conference win, but it's another thing that I look at. No, I'm talking about Ohio State. Ohio State. No, you said
2: you said Ohio State beat number one. You said Michigan State. Yes, they beat Purdue. Purdue is one.
1: I also looked and it said Michigan
2: State is not number one.
1: No, Michigan State was number one when. Or when Ohio State beat. When Ohio State played them on January 7th, they were the number one team in the nation.
2: I thought you were talking about right now. No,
1: not right now. I'm talking about. But they beat Purdue, who's the number three team in the nation when they played each other. And part of me goes, like, I'm not taking anything away from Auburn, but one of my points in this is the committee slapping the Big Ten straight in the face with their glove because. Michigan State should be on the two-line. Ohio State should be maybe a three-seed, not a four-seed. And people are going to go, whoa, Ricky, one-seed line. What do you—when it's only one-seed line. But I say that because you put Auburn on the two-line after that non-conference when Ohio State actually had the cojones to go out there, play a ranked Gonzaga team who was just in the national title the year before. Go on a neutral site and play Stanford. Go and play. I know Butler isn't the biggest opponent, but they're in their conference. They're one of the top dogs, no pun intended. And to go at home and say, hey, you know what? Roy, come on to town. Roy, we want to play your number five Tar Heels that day. Uh, They probably weren't expecting them to be number five. They don't know what ranking they would be that late in the season in December, but they at least had the balls to say hey we're going to play some teams that are not cupcake teams and yeah they lose to butler in overtime yeah they did that's probably not a great loss it's not a bad loss it's not it's a better loss than temple and then they play gonzaga uh, gonzaga and lose they play north carolina and lose so that's my biggest takeaway when it comes to that but brandy before we move on what are your what are your final what are your final thoughts on the top 16 by the committee on February
2: 11th. Well, my final thoughts on this bracket preview again, Mm -hmm. um, is that we're going to see a lot of things change. We're going to see a lot of these things change. I think we'll see some teams fall out. We'll see some teams added again. This is an early bracket preview, but it's always fun to talk about and, and see what, what we think Mm -hmm. could happen, how some teams have been snubbed, how some teams have gotten away, uh, with, uh, With being a little higher than I think maybe they should be, Mm -hmm. but like I said, uh, we're going to see this uh, change up probably quite a bit in the next couple of weeks.
1: And the thing I'm looking at really quick before we kind of move on is when it comes to the Big 12, you're telling me this, Brandon, just tell me how this makes sense. You ready for this? Sure. I'm going to give you two records. You tell me which one should be the higher seeded team—the okay. team that's 21 and four and nine and three in the conference, or a team that's nine and six, nineteen and six, and eight and four in the conference. Which one should be the higher seed? Do you think?
2: I'm going to go with say say that they they were nineteen and six and, 19 said, and six, and, and then eight, twenty one, eight and one, one in the conference, four, eight and four in the, conference. and the other one's
1: nine and three in the conference and 21 and 4
2: overall. Uh, 21 and 4.
1: That's Texas Tech and they are below Kansas. How like what like oh, I just I don't like <laughs> I don't understand I do understand their favoritism towards Kansas but I just don't understand it and the slap of the face to the Big 10. But I want to know what you guys think. Let us know what you guys think of the bracket preview down below in the comment section. Kansas fans I want to hear what you, for, from you Patrick for sure because he's our resident um, patron for Jayhawk, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk Nation. But Kansas fans, I want to know wh- what you guys think. Do you guys really believe that you guys right now at this point deserve the two seed? Or are you guys like, well, thanks for the gift, but I don't believe we deserve it. I want to know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our next topic. And for this one, we it's a treat always when we get to do this, but we're inviting in another patron from our Patreon page. Yet again, if you want to be like Matt today, who's joining us, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most podcast. Matt, how you doing this evening?
0: I'm doing great. How about you guys?
1: We are doing fine. Just got done previewing. Well, reviewing the preview that the committee came out with for the top four seeds in each region. And we're kind of keeping the March Madness theme going because, what you wanted to talk about today was basically one-and-done teams, and are they really the blueprint for success when it comes to the college season and really for March Madness? So we're going to get right into it. I'm going to ask you first, Matt. Are one-and-done teams really the blueprint for success when it comes to making the tournament and being suc- successful in March Madness?
0: Uh, I do not think so, uh, you know, plain and simple. Um I think there's, there's argument to be had there and we'll, we can probably get into that, but what you're seeing, especially this year, probably more so than any year that I can remember is a lot of teams at the top that don't have one and dones and uh, a lot of influence from maybe not even just necessarily seniors, but for sure, upperclassmen leading their teams. So I, I don't think it's the blueprint. And I think you've been seeing that trend in the last few years. Um, there's, you know, Duke and Carolina have won within the past few years. So you're thinking, what are you talking about? They they always have one and done, and they do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're leading their team. And what you'll notice even within those teams is that there's a heavy upperclassman influence that that brought those teams through the tournament.
2: Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, Matt. I think that one of the teams that a lot of people would look at when you talk about one and duns, it's going to be Kentucky and John Calipari. You know, he's he's been one of those guys who's made a living off the one and done rule. I mean, he goes out and specifically recruits based because of it. Six elite eight appearances, four Final Four showings in in eight years. I mean, this guy has he's been very very successful, Um, but. I think even though he's been super successful, I think that you can see where Kentucky's at this year. They have struggled. Will they be around? Yes, but not what they have been. Um, you've seen Duke's recent struggles. But one of my things that I want to bring up, and I and I have brought it up a number of times, is take a look at an Oklahoma team from a couple of years ago where they kind of rode the hot hand of Buddy Heald. And Buddy Healed was not a one-and-done player. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a really good thing that Buddy Heald was not because he stayed in school, he fixed his shot, and I think it helped make him a better NBA product. Now, our one-and-done teams, can they be good? Can they produce some really good players? Yeah, we've seen it. I mean, I, I can tell you a list of players I wrote them down. Carl Anthony Towns, DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall, uh, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, Jabari Parker. You know, all these guys have been one-and-dones, and their teams have been pretty darn good. But is it is it a recipe for success that can be sustained for many years to come? I'm with you, Matt. I don't think that that can be the continuous blueprint that we see as we continue on with college basketball into the next many years that it will be in existence.
1: Well, and the thing that I'm looking at right now is kind of to – there's two things I'm looking at. One, I'm going to go back to in the past – and then one I'm going to basically stay here in the future. And the first one I look at is I'm just looking at the final fours. And with how far I've gone back, maybe you can go a little further, but just off my eye test here, the last, what, four championships that we've had, so 2014, 15, 16, and 17, one of the teams in the national championship has had – upperclassmen leadership. Last year's Gonzaga team. Yeah, Gonzaga team. The Gonzaga team. G- They're Gonzaga. not the Zags. They're the Zags. I always get that wrong. Gonzaga team. They were a team not built on one and dones. You look at Villanova 2016, not built on the one and done. You look at Wisconsin in 2015, not built on the one and done. You look at that Kentucky, or not Kentucky, Connecticut team that beat that Kentucky team in 2014, not built on On The one and done and then you look at teams just this year. We just looked at some of the number one seeds right now that the committee has. You have the Virginia Cavaliers. They're led by guys like Devon Hall and Isaiah Wilkins on the scoring end for Hall on the rebounding end for Wilkins. You got a team like Xavier who you've got Kareem Cantor and you have um, Trevon Blewett who are also there. You have Villanova which has their senior leadership. You have Purdue that has their upperclassmen leadership. I feel like all of the one seeds this year and from what we've seen in just the championship game the last four years, if I'm a coach, I'm looking at it and going, you know what? Maybe I don't need to go ahead and get a one and done. I should build my team for upperclassmen and that'll help me basically have better success because you look at the Zags in uh, Gonzaga they're usually a team, if I'm not mistaken, they're not a one and done team. You know what I'm saying there, Matt?
0: No doubt. Yeah, I, I think you're 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 spot on. I mean, I think last year, maybe with Gonzaga, they had more talent than they're used to, at least in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, y- younger talent, but um but but obviously still there was that veteran presence that carried them through through the whole season and into the tournament that deep run. I
2: think that one of the things that you have to look at is, and and I'm not going to just do this. I'm I'm going to do this in part, mm-hmm. but not solely, because it's the team that Matt's always going for. But <laughs> Matt, look at where yeah. look at where Purdue's been the last couple of years. You know, they're they're they haven't they haven't made it yet, but they're they're almost always elite eight. And they're never a team that's talked about as a, as a team that's looking for the one and done. I mean, you can take a look right now, Isaac Haas. I mean, he's one of their big guys. He's a senior. I mean, there's your senior leadership right there, and that's a team that consistently they haven't they haven't quite been able to get over that that elite eight hump or or, or mental block, uh, but but they're close. You know, every year it's it's like they they get a, you feel like they get a little closer, a little closer. And they're doing that with with of, of course, you know, some freshmen on the team, but but senior leadership, upperclassmen leadership. And and I mean, they're just they're just an example. Um, we saw, you know, from from Michigan State in terms of in terms of Miles Bridges. He comes back. You know, he wasn't just a one and done player. He he came back because he not not just because of basketball, not just you know because if he wanted the money and everything, I mean his mom told him, "Go go to the NBA." I, mm-hmm. I got bills to pay. You need to pay my bills. <laughs> and he said, "No, my you know I need I want to go back to school. I liked the experience. I liked the relationships I built. It's not just basketball, and you know not not as many guys are always thinking the way that Miles was thinking in that situation. But again, that's a That's a different sort of thinking. And that's now him as, you know, no longer a freshman, wanting to stay and and, and continue to play basketball because he likes the college aspect. You see a lot of these guys that we we don't talk enough, maybe, about the guys that aren't the one and done's, that do stay, that Mm -hmm. are the seniors, that have that senior leadership. We hear so much about, uh, you know, the, the one and done type of players, but we see a lot of these teams, they're built off of their seniors.
0: Yeah, and and no doubt, and so I guess I I saw this interesting graphic in in the Purdue game the other day, actually, um, and it was true freshman contributions for the AP top five teams at the time. Obviously, that's been shaken up a little because of all the chaos last week, but um, it broke down the percentage of minutes that freshmen play on those teams and the percentage of points, so let me read those real quick. Okay. So Villanova, minutes, 13% from freshmen. Virginia, 2%. Purdue, 6%. Michigan State, 15%, and Xavier, 20%. So, I mean, right there, Xavier is the only one that, you know, one out of the five players on the floor for the whole game is a freshman. The rest are are lower or even much lower than that. Yeah. So I I think that kind of speaks to it.
1: And, I mean, the one thing I'm doing right now is kind of you and Brandon are going back and forth. I am continuing because the interesting thing, the reason why I loved it when you brought this topic up, Um, to talk about today, Matt, was this is a very deep-dive kind of of conversation where it's like, yeah, we can look at it just for this year, but it's one of those that also you can look at and go, well, how about the past years? And I've been going back past that 2013 or 2014. 2013, you had teams like Louisville and Michigan. I looked up Louisville for sure. Of course, it was vacated, but you look at that team and they were led – By senior leadership, you had the Peyton Silva, who was a senior, but you also had DeAng, who was a junior. You had um, Luke Hancock on that team that was a junior playing big minutes. Probably the biggest name on that team that was a freshman was Montrez Harold that year. Then you've got the 2012 National Championship. This is kind of the one that might fall a little out of that because, of course, Ben McLemore was a freshman, but you have Thomas Robinson and Jeff Whithey, the upperclassman leadership for Kansas. You go, um, 2011, where UConn and Butler both had UConn more so because Kemba Walker was the senior that year and Oriaki was there as a sophomore. And you had, um, Okwanyu, Charles Okwandu, there as a senior as well. And I'm just going back even further. You look at Butler before that, you look at the, um, Michigan State team, North Carolina teams that were in 2008 Final Four in Detroit. And I'm starting to see a trend of now this is me going back and it's like, okay, we have teams like at least one of the teams that's in the national championship is not a one and done. But I'm looking at most of these and most of these teams like it looks like. It's a pretty mosh-posh. It's not like, oh, the when we get to the national championship, that the one-and-dones dominate or the um not-one-and-done teams dominate. It's kind of – it looks like a little 50-50 there. But I think it's interesting that, hey, out of the final four teams, your final two, at least one of them – is not built off of these guys that go on and it's like, I'm going to play here one year and then go on into the NBA. And the thing I hate, and I mentioned this a little earlier, I think I might have mentioned this before the podcast, the thing I hate about the one and done mostly, and maybe this is because I'm also on the fast break, is I hate how we talk about these guys in draft and we kind of expect them to be great players right away and it kinda of seems like even a mosh posh of one and done's where it's like some come out and it's like, Okay, you're good to come out right away but there's others where it's like, eh, well, you know what? We're gonna to have to kinda of wait for you to develop a little bit. We're gonna have gonna have to wait a year or two for you to get the speed of the MBA because maybe you should have stayed in college and kinda of worked on some things.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm I I'm with you there. I mean, I think people I think people generally just forget that these players develop, <laughs> and the longer the mm-hmm. longer they're in in school, um, the the more they learn, and and the the more skill they they might realize they have. Um, I mean, the guys you're throwing out there, maybe like on Trayvon Bluit. Like, you know, I put him up against anybody, and have a guy take it my last second shot. I I take him. I know he's beyond clutch, and he's he's been there before. So. I think people just tend to forget about the development that these guys can, can go through, especially especially through certain programs that have proven year after year that um, they can develop these players like no other.
1: Well, and the one thing I want to just throw out there, Brandon, before you come in is based off of what we've seen from the committee already, is the committee maybe leaning towards more? And I'll let Brandon, you a- answer this before you go on into your point is maybe the committee leaning more into non-one-and-done teams from what we've seen with their kind of, what would it be? What's well, four times four? Is that 16? Their top 16 teams that they've come out with in their preview?
2: Well, quite honestly, I, I mean, I think that the, the committee, it, it's not its not whether they're, and for the committee it, shouldn't, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be this way. They should be going and trying to put in the best, the best teams. teams, whether or not you're one-and-done or you're not. I don't mm-hmm. think that really has anything to do with it. Uh, it's just are you good or are you not good? Are you good enough to be in the top sixteen or are you not good enough to be in the top sixteen? If you happen to be a, a one in one of the quote unquote one and done teams mm-hmm. at like a Kentucky, um I think that you can, you know, look at this look at this board and, and, and see that of, of what we're looking at the bracket preview as of uh, February eleventh, uh you, you look here and there Kentucky's not there. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're not just putting Kentucky there because ah you've been guys been really good in the past. You know, you're one and done team. No, they're not. They're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you have you have Duke there as a a two in the the east region um, because Duke's been pretty good throughout most of the season. They've scuffled as of late. But I I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with whether you're one and done or you're not one and done. Mm -hmm. Um, And the point that I wanted to get to and, and bring up is you know is it time to just end end this one and done you know once and for all because in 2006 that's when the NBA put the rule in place that made a player have to be 19 years old or one year removed from playing high school basketball before mm-hmm. they were eligible for the draft do we move do we move to more of a baseball model where the player if you're drafted out of high school you can either turn pro right away or You commit to a college, and you're not coming back into the draft pool for three years. So then that way, you either completely bypass college, and you go right to the draft, Mm -hmm. which is what some guys want to do anyways. Yeah, School's not necessarily for them. Fine. That's Mm -hmm. great. Go and head right to the NBA. Or, for those that want to be in school... They know they're locked down and committed for three years, and a coach knows that they're locked down and committed for three years to have on their team.
1: God, that would change the recruiting game so much. It I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but, you know, like, the thing that I'm thinking about, and this is kind of creeping into fast-break territory, but I'm going to say it anyways, the thing I like about that model, there was only one thing you said that I kind of went, eh, but I'm okay with it, is when you said three years. Because at first I'm like, well, you know what, basketball's different, what about two? But then I'm like, no, baseball's three, football's three, why shouldn't basketball be three as well? And then what it could also do on the flip side is, like you said, coaches know who they got, it'll change recruiting completely because I don't have to go and revamp my starting lineup basically every single year because my five move out and I got to get a new five in there. But what it could also do is on the NBA side, it could then make the G League, which used to be the D League, it could then make the G League actually like mean something to where it's like, hey, you know what? I don't want to go to college. I don't like the grind of college. I don't like going to school, but I'm not really going to be number one pick in the NBA. Then let's go ahead and um, go to the NBA. I can be maybe in the G League. And here's the thing I would keep in that they have now to your model is I would keep in what the NBA draft has right now of like where I can declare for the draft let's say I'm a kid from UCLA I want to declare for the draft I can declare but it's basically I think the date is like just after the combine so it's like right after the lottery so once the lottery is set and the order is set then I can be like no I want to go back to college like they give them that much room I would keep that in there, but your model, and I think it would work. Because what if I'm a kid that comes out and I'm like, you know what? I want to try to work at the combine, impress people. And then I don't. I can go, okay, now I'm going to go to college. The only thing is, will college be okay with that, with a recruit that's like, you know what? I might come to you. I might commit to you, but let me try this MBA thing first. Matt, what do you think? And before I go back to Brandon.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I – think- that's a, you bring you both bring up good points and it's it's an interesting discussion i think there's an argument there that um getting rid of the one done is best for everyone um just because you know the you, you get rid of that uncertainty of you know when is this guy going to be leaving um do i do i need to expect that i'm filling that slot after one year um et cetera, from the coach coach's perspective um but then, too, I mean, if that's legitimately what the guy wants and he's not going to have any interest in the schooling aspect, then and, you know, all all the power to him. I mean, that's certainly you're, you're setting yourself up for a, a bit of a risk there. But if that's truly what what they want, then I, I mean, I guess let them have it. I, and then, Ricky, I guess your your note on the letting them try out for the combine um, and see what kind of feedback they get there. I think that's a good idea, but I think just that's, from the college perspective, that's going to be so late that it, they can't have a scholarship influx hoping that this guy's going to, you know, back out and come their way. Um, it, it just seems like that would be setting the school up for failure.
1: And that's the only thing that I was like, eh, because it's kind of different when it's like, okay, it's one of our guys and he might be coming back. Compared to, you're not even one of us yet, I need to know a commitment now, especially when the signing days are and everything. What were you going to say, though, Brandon, before I went to Matt?
2: What I was going to say was that what this kind of thing, what this might be or may have been good for, um, a very, very uh, recent example happening right now in the present, uh, Markel Foltz. Mm-hmm. I mean what's going on with this kid? You know, I mean one year at Washington is pretty darn good and all of a sudden he can't shoot. He can't shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, outside of ten feet. He's got the yips. I, I mean it's it's confidence, it's uh his shooting motion. I mean it's it's everything with this kid and I feel terrible for him. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe if he would have stayed in college a little bit longer, They could have worked with him. They could have progressed his game. They could have, as Matt had said, developed his game a little bit more. Then that would have developed confidence. I mean, he would have been gone to the NBA being the player he wants to be, not the player that he is right now. Mm -hmm. So that can be, if if you have something like that, like that model that I brought up, it actually could be beneficial, not just for the team, for the coach, because then you know that you're locked in, you've got this player for a couple of years, but also for the player, because you're not worried about trying to, okay, I'm just trying to do really, really well in this mm-hmm. one season and then get out of here so I can go get paid. Mm-hmm. You're trying to do well you know, throughout. You're trying to really develop and try and get the best game that you possibly can without, within your three years, not just one year where you have to fit What would have been three, four years into one season?
1: Well, and also, and I'm going to use this one draft class as an example, even though it's kind of like a microcosm. It's kind of like what we mentioned earlier, where it's like we're only seeing one year of guys. We're only seeing one year of what we can do. And I think back to uh, what year was this? It was the 2013 NBA draft. Do you remember, I probably know you don't, Brandon, but you love when I play this game. Um, do you remember who went number one in that draft? I'll give you the school. He went to UNLV. He was a freshman from Canada.
2: No, I don't remember.
1: Anthony Bennett. Do you remember Anthony Bennett? Nope. Played pretty well in college. I believe UC, or UNLV went to the second round, I want to say, that year.
2: Matt, did you know that answer? I did not. Do you Yeah, no one ever knows the answers to Ricky's questions. He has some of the hardest trivia. (laughs) I'll give you a a double or nothing here. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm going to screw this up too. Matt, you're in on this too. What junior
1: from Indiana went directly behind him? Matt'll
2: know this. A junior from Indiana went directly
1: behind him. Who is it, Matt? Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo. Where are the two right now? Of course, I'm not saying Victor Oladipo coming out right away and was gangbusters everywhere. But where are they right now? Anthony Bennett I don't even think is in the league anymore. And Victor Oladipo is lighting it up for the Pacers. So, I mean, that's my little microcosm of at least we got to see Victor Oladipo to where it's like, OK, we kind of know what we are getting. Yeah, he need to develop in the NBA. Yeah. Just because you're a junior or a senior doesn't mean you're not going to be have to develop more. But like Anthony Bennett, everyone thinks, oh, he's in, this was a weaker draft class, don't get me wrong. But it's like, oh, he's the number one pick. And it's like, ugh, he wasn't the number one pick.
2: Again, and Matt, right before you jump in, is that, that's where I want to bring in again, like you said, Ricky, mm-hmm. we're all basing this off of potential. Yep. The, here's the potential. <laughs> all the draft Anthony is. Bennett, I'm sure, had a lot of potential, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. I mean, that's especially, in, in everything, in any draft, mm-hmm. but especially in the NBA draft, because a lot of guys, so many guys, you see for one season, mm-hmm. and that's all you have to go on. You've got to just go on the hope of potential.
1: Well, and before we wrap it up, Matt, I want to ask you, any final thoughts you've got on one and dones and success for college basketball?
0: I think, you know, generally, we'll we'll see how it all plays out as it relates to this year. But we we've seen that there is a model of success where you just develop guys and they, they're um, through their skill development and through the experience they they get along the way. Um, clearly, that's a, a path for success, and as it relates to the NCA tournament, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I I got to think that's going to stay true this year as well.
2: And Matt, my my final question to you before we let you go is: mm-hmm. Do you see? This one and done. I mean, not necessarily even going to the model that I brought up, but changing, changing in some way in the next couple of years.
0: I think it could. I, I think, I think the NCAA too is like under a lot of grief in terms of, you know, they they there's no there's no denying that they a lot of their revenue comes from these guys, right? All like who doesn't want to who who doesn't want to see Trey Young play every night? Exactly. Um, so from their perspective, they probably don't mind it a whole lot, but, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised just, um, given some of the the issues it's, it's created for some of these players. Um, and maybe, maybe they themselves start to realize that, Hey, this isn't, this isn't the safe route and maybe I need to stick around longer. So I don't know We'll, we'll see.
1: Well, and Matt, thank you for joining us yet again. I love having you on the podcast, and I love the topics that you bring to us. This one, a nice one because uh, not Purdue kind of central in this one, but I'm sure we will talk about the Boilermakers again this season because you are a huge Purdue fan. Um, But for you guys out there, before I turn to you guys, you guys want to be like Matt, go ahead and check out patreon.com backslash podcast. Not only do you get to help support us, But you get to come on the podcast and talk about whatever it is you would like to talk about. I want to thank Matt for joining us today. I want to thank him for his support as well as all of our other patrons on patreon.com. But Brandon, let's move on into our final topic. And what we're looking at today is kind of what we looked at. Oh, what was that? A month ago? Was it a month ago that we looked at Aiton and Bagley and kind of went... 1v1, and then every, and then everyone's like, what about Mo Bamba? So, I mean, we'll have to talk about Mo Bamba later. But we're doing a kind of another versus video for the NBA draft. We're going to look at two of the top point guards in this draft right now. We're going to look at the freshman from Oklahoma, Trey Young. I don't know if you guys have heard of him lately. And then we're also going to look at the freshman from Alabama, Colin Sexton. And how we're going to do this is we're going to look at one first. We're going to look at the other one second. Kind of compare them at the end. And then finally, we will end the video making our, end the segment, making our comparison for who we would, our decision, I should say, of who we would pick if we had to choose one over the other on the clock draft style. And we flipped the coin before we started recording and Trey Young won. So, Brandon, we're going to start with Trey Young. What do you like? What do you don't like? Started off. Trey Young, what do you think?
2: Well, Trey Young, you know, he has scored a lot of points. We know that. A ton of we points. know that he averages a lot of points, but I think it's really interesting that when you look at some of the games where he scored a lot of points, mm-hmm. they have not won. And a part of that is because I think at some points he's shooting too many low quality Low percentage shots,
0: mm-hmm.
2: they're not going in. He's yeah. putting them up, they're not going in. But he's getting so many points because he's shooting so many shots. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a shooter's going to shoot, and that's eventually just, they're going to score. That's what I was just going to say. Shooter's going to shoot, man. But that's, you can't put a cap on that. Kobe didn't. No, but you don't. You you want to shoot high percentage, high quality shots. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you. That's what you want Trey Young to be doing. And I understand that. You know, again, a shooter is going to just shoot the ball. How do you? Get uh, How do you stop being cold? You keep shooting until you start making them again. Mm -hmm. I get it. But that would be a criticism. That would be a criticism of of Trey Young. However, Trey Young, he's not just a good shooter. We talked about this before we came on the podcast today. He's not just a good shooter. He's incredibly talented with the basketball Mm -hmm. in terms of driving, Mm -hmm. in terms of dishing it off. Let's look at the Alabama game. I know they lost that game, eighty to seventy-three, but that's the game where you really can, where people really were getting excited because you were able to look at Trey Young for Oklahoma and Colin Sexton for Alabama. The two it's a gu-
1: sexy matchup. The
2: two <laughs> the the two guys that people believe are going to be the two best guards mm-hmm. in the upcoming NBA draft, and I would have to agree with them. There were so many times where Trey Young had some beautiful assists, some beautiful dishes to his teammates. He had eight assists in the ballgame. Mm-hmm. That's something that you see a lot of times from Trey Young. It's not just the points. It's you know 20-some points and 14 assists. The guy does a lot outside of just shooting the basketball. That's something that you want to see in a good guard, especially when it gets to the NBA and you're able to do a whole lot more than mm-hmm. just be a shooter. You're able to be a playmaker, and that's what you want to be able to have as well. Trey Young is also pretty good with his foot mechanics. Mm -hmm. He's very good. When he gets the basketball, he's always lined up towards the hoop. That's one of the most positive things about him. He's always ready to shoot, to score, to drive. He's ready to go do that. So his mechanics there are really good. He also knows how to create some space for himself. It's going to be one of those things where he can get better at it, especially when you're going up against NBA defenders, and it's not college defenders anymore. Mm -hmm. But he's really good at kind of the step back, the drive-in step back, create that space between him and the defender, be able to take his shot from three. Having the quick release he has also helped. Exactly. Just the whoop. Very true. You're Mm -hmm. right with that. There's a lot of really positive things from Trey Young. Again, like I mentioned kind of early on, There's some things that he could get better at. Mm -hmm. But this is a really good player, one that I would want on my team.
1: Well, and that's the thing. The thing I was thinking about watching some film of Trey Young, just kind of refreshing myself on some of the games that we have watched earlier this year. Do you remember when we talked about Trey Young, first ever draft topic we did this season, where we asked, could he be the number one pick? And what was one comparison... I looked at the camera and told people, don't make that comparison. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. I am today on, what was this, February 12th, saying that it is okay to say that he has a little, a little bit of Steph <laughs> in him. And the, the reason why I, he has like, when I was watching him, I'm like, you know what? He has a little bit of Steph in him but he's not Steph Curry, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like the quick release, the shooting from the parking lot and making it, I could see Steph Curry doing that. The assists numbers of basically I'm going to get my teammates open. I can see a little bit of Steph there too. More show the shooting though with um, Steph. When it comes to the passing, that's when people start comparing him to, um, oh, shoot, I had the name and I just, uh, Steve Nash is who they start comparing him to. I'm like, I had the name, and I just lost it. The things I don't like with Trey Young is the first one is is his turnovers. Turns the ball over too many times. I want to say he's averaging, what, five turnovers a game right now, which is, to me, way too high. Yeah, 5.3 turnovers per game all season, according to ESPN. I was going to say seven. Seven? Still, five, seven, whatever it is, not good. That's way too many turnovers. The other thing that, to me, is not that good is his foul shooting percentage. He's right now at 84.3, and a lot of people will go, I'll take that. Not Ricky Woodmer. 90 or above. 90 and above is what I'm shooting for. And the reason why I don't like it Yeah, 5.3, with, you're right. The reason why I don't like it with Trey Young is because... Like, you might see on some draft profiles where they go, oh, his foul shooting is a strength. To me, I look at it, the amount he gets to the line is good. He's averaging about 9.3 attempts this season from the foul line per game. However, there were a lot of times in his highlight reel and in games, I look at it and I go, should have made it, should have made it. And a guy like like Trey Young... If you can make it from the parking lot with a defender in your face, you can make it from the foul line with nobody in your face. And that's why I I get that everyone's not going to make every single free throw, but with the kind of shooter that he is, I look at that and go, there's no reason why you should be under 90% with how much you get to the line. Like he's missing an average of almost two foul shots a game, which turns out to about, and if we're rounding, about – seven for nine every game from the foul line. And yet again, people might say, okay, that's good. Not I. You got to go and make more of them. Maybe eight for nine, nine for nine is what we're shooting for. Of course, perfection is what we are shooting for. But those are kind of the two bugaboos with me, with Trey Young. Is, is he going to come in and be exactly Steph Curry? No. He's going to be a shooter. He. I love the assists that he has, averaging, what, over 10, uh, 10 assists a game almost 10 assists, is at 9.4 um, on the season right now. The one thing he doesn't have that Steph Curry has is, do you remember in the NBA Finals, Brandon, when it was all over Twitter, all over Center, when Steph Curry kind of dribbled in and dribbled out and kind of faked LeBron out of his shoes and then drove right in for the layup? Trey Young's not going to do that. Trey Young's not going to dribble and have all these like little fancy um, dribble work Yes, he can drive in. Yes, he can lay it up. But to me, he's not the quickest out there. He's more of a shooter. And when he drives, I'm going to kick. And he's got amazing vision of knowing where his players are. There was one I was watching. He wasn't even moving. He was just kind of standing there, waited for the defense to shift, and threw it from the left side, like left of the key by the three point line or by the three point arc, and whipped it all the way to the right corner. Found his guy and his guy made the wide open three. So that's what you're getting with Trey Young. You're getting a shooter who has great court vision and can hit guys for buckets and rack up assists as well.
2: However, Trey Young, one thing I do want to bring up, mm-hmm. looking at his last three games, and it's been three losses for Oklahoma, as mm-hmm. we as we talked in the last segment, yep. Oklahoma's been a team that has really been struggling two and six in their mm-hmm. last eight. In the game on the road at Texas, he went 7 of 22 from the field, 2 of 14 from 3. Miserable. Mm -hmm. Against West Virginia in a loss, 10 of 20 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3. Better. But in their loss on the road at Iowa State just recently, 7 of 21 from the field, 1 of 8 from 3. He has been struggling from beyond the arc, Mm -hmm. which has really hurt the team overall. So it's... It's one of those where he's he's had some really, really good games, many good games this season. But when he's off, he's off.
1: And that's the reason why when it comes to Trey Young and both of these, eh, I feel like both of these guys could fall into this, but Trey Young falls into it more. If you're drafting Trey Young to be the guy, to basically be, and I'm going to throw this out there and people are going to get mad, but see where I'm coming from here. If you're drafting him to be the LeBron James of your team, the Kyrie Irving of your team, the let's say when he was in when he was in Oklahoma City, the Kevin Durant of your team, although he still had Westbrook there. If you're drafting him to be even the Jimmy Butler of your team, the guy you're probably not going to do well if he is the only guy. And this is where that Steph comparison can creep back in a little bit because If you surround him with the right players and he ends up in a situation like Steph did in Golden State where I'm not expecting him to because of how many teams can draft like the Warriors, but they like, you look at what Steph has. He's got Klay Thompson out there that can take some pressure off. Now they have Kevin Durant, but even before for that first one, a Draymond Green that was drafted. If you're filling him with the right guys... He can be successful, but if he has to shoulder the load, like there was, I'm even going to throw the Oklahoma State game, eight for 20. Yeah, he shot 40% from three, but he jacked up 20 shots. What about the TCU win in overtime? 10 for 18. Yeah, he made 55% of his threes, but he took 18 of them. And that's the little problem with the three of, yeah, you can say, oh, he's a volume shooter, but if you surround him with the right talent, then he doesn't have to shoot as many three as many threes and fall into the category of what you were talking of, where it's like most of these threes that you're throwing up in those twenty were all twenty of those quality shots, were all twenty of those the best possible shot you could have made, and that's what he could fall into. Any final thoughts before we kind of
2: change over into Colin Sexton? My final thought with Trey Young mm-hmm. is the fact that in that. In that Alabama game, too, mm-hmm. um, that was, again, a loss. Um, they played really good defense against him. They actually mm-hmm. changed their defense up like six, seven times against him. And I, th- I think as much as he'll say and he has said, you know, I see different defenses all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm used to that. <laughs> he struggled. They they did a pretty good job of of locking him down. Mm-hmm. So how is he going to what is he going to do to be better than that and not have to completely rely on just being the shooter from 3? What else can he do? Yes, I know that he can, you know, assist guy. How can he score mm-hmm. outside of being that shooter from 3?
1: Well, and that's kind of reminded me of one thing that I just want to throw out before we go to Colin Sexton is we're going to see it more and more as we go through the end of this season in the conference tournament. When you have been on fire, like Trey Young has been most of this time, teams are going to do, and Iowa state kind of did it where they said, you know what? We'll lock you down. We will lock you down. You, he only had three points, three points. With about four and a half to go in that first half. Yeah, he finished with seven in that half to avoid his lowest score for a first half performance. But most teams are gonna go and say, We're gonna lock you down.
2: And they're gonna and they're gonna face guard we're gonna, and, and, and we're how... gonna limit you yeah.
1: and force the rest of your team to beat us. That's why I'm saying look at the NBA side. If you're gonna ha- if you have other players around him that can like I'm going to the Warriors because 'cause they're the gold standard of like you have Klay Thompson, you have Draymond Green. They add Kevin Durant, then it won't be a problem for Trey Young because they won't be able to say I'm going to lock you down and see what the rest of the team's going to do. Moving on to Colin Sexton though, what do you think about him,
2: Colin Sexton? Uh, you know I, I I like him being able to get uh, he's when, quick. He is oh quick. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. No one's going to beat that guy in transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Con Sexton, I didn't really know him. As well, when we first sat down and we first talked about Trey Young mm-hmm. and people were saying, well, there's a there's a Colin Sexton guy over here, too, from Alabama. Yeah. Didn't he hadn't really come onto the scene yet. Mm-hmm. Not not at least for me, but Colin Sexton. I want to start off by saying that this guy, he he embraces contact. He he almost welcomes contact out there on the floor, which is a which is a huge thing. Um, he's really good defensively. He's pretty darn tough defensively, and mm-hmm. he's pretty, he's pretty uh, locked down when it comes to defense. Lightning quick speed. That was one of the things I really wanted to talk about. Lightning quick speed, whether it's when it's an offensive possession for Alabama, and he's just zooming to the hoop, or it's he gets the basketball off of a rebound and beats three defenders down the floor. Mm-hmm. He is lightning quick. And he will beat anyone down the floor. Also, a strong court awareness. He knows where he needs to be on the floor. He knows how to uh, kind of get the ball moving because he knows not only where he is, but where his other offensive pieces and teammates are.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He finishes extremely well at the hoop and at the rim. That's another thing that I really like. His size is perfect. I think that when you look at, when specifically when you look at size, NBA teams may look at Colin Sexton and say, "Colin Sexton, with his size, with his build, with his physique, he has more NBA ready skills in terms of in, in terms of all of that kind of the the intangibles, you know, like that." Um, they may like him more because of that. He's he's a guy that probably when you look at the NBA, they're going to say, "If you gave him Trey Young, Colin Sexton, just to look at him, they'd go, Colin." Because of just when you look, that he looks like more of an NBA ready guy. Well,
1: and the thing that I kind of wanted to, and I'm glad you said that because the thing I was kind of thinking as the thing I was kind of thinking before we started the segment as I was doing some research today on both Sexton and Young, you know what these two kind of like the comparisons that we're making between Young and Sexton. You know what it reminds me of? Like, not exactly, but kind of, where I can kind of fit the same mold over it. It's like we're it's like I'm going back to last year and we're talking about Lonzo Ball versus DeAndre Fox. Because you think of the two, Colin Sexton in this case is DeAndre or De'Aaron Fox. I call him DeAndre. De'Aaron Fox type player, where you know what I'm gonna be a driver first, get to the lane, embrace that contact. Whereas Trey Young, Lonzo Ball. Now, I know Trey Young's shot is looks a lot better than Lonzo's does, but, hey yeah, he can shoot from three. He's a facilitator. Yeah, he can drive sometimes, but really he's going to be a three-ball guy and a facilitator. That is what I could not help going back to each time, where, yes, they're not exactly the same, but it's kind of like that same debate of what do you want, a guy who's going to shoot threes, and have higher assist numbers, or a guy who's going to be more athletic and can drive to the lane. And yet again, to no surprise, this year when Sexton and Young went head-to-head, who won that matchup? Sexton. Last year when De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball went head-to-head, who won that matchup?
2: Don't know. De'Aaron
1: Fox. Don't remember. It was in the tournament. They met in the tournament, and everyone was – because I remember it like it was yesterday. Sean I mean I think Dave.
2: I'll, I'll be straight up honest with you. I don't remember talking about these two the way that we talked about. Yeah. I don't remember talking about Lonzo Ball <laughs> and De'Aaron Fox the way that we talked about these two. Well, that's because we rebranded everything.
1: Last year was on the fast break that Sean and I had that discussion. Well,
2: then you can't bring it up like, remember when we no, talked no, no, about it no, because we I,
1: didn't. But I mean like we as MVP like, because I was in that discussion. That's what it reminds me of, though. And the thing that I look to is like. I'm watching I'm watching Colin Sexton play, and the thing I'm thinking of is like I, I'm like, oh, I don't want to make this comparison, but you want to know what NBA Pro popped into my head, and I'm asking you this because I prepped you for this because I asked you this as soon as we walked in the door today what, what pro what what when NBA, it comes what, to Colin Sexton, Sexton what pro because I
2: got because I guessed it right yeah yeah it's Russell Westbrook
1: Russell Westbrook it wasn't just the fact that they're similar height and I believe right now that Russ is about 10 pounds I know Russ has an NBA body but about 10 pounds more right now than Kyle Sexton is he's about 200 where Sexton's about 190 according to ESPN but I'm just and for this take it as it may there are people that are going to argue with this but For the stats I'm going to throw out there, for Westbrook, I'm excluding the last three years. The reason why I'm excluding those three is I think we can all agree that the last three years, maybe even the last two, Russ has kind of been putting up a lot more stats because he's playing pissed off. He's been playing pissed off ever since his buddy KD went over to the Warriors, but in Excluding the last three, ever since he started racking up those assist numbers, the numbers are kind of similar. Where it's like, yeah, Russ in the NBA is getting more points than Sexton right now, but I'm looking at it and like the only thing that Russ does better is he racks up about five more points per game at the next level and he's got about four more assists in the NBA. But like, I look at the career shooting and its free throws when it comes to three pointers and when it comes to field goal by like 0.001 Colin Sexton is better than the career averages for Russell Westbrook and I know what people are going to say Ricky it's career averages you can't really do that but I just I look at it and I go that could be how I look at it is there are two guys to me I can compare Colin Sexton to and if I'm going young, I'd say deer and Fox type player. If I'm saying at his highest potential of what he can maybe become, if he can develop more passing, because between the maybe it's because we're comparing the two, the thing that kind of looked like a negative to me when we're putting it next to Trey Young is the assist numbers to where I'm like, you can't, you can't have about five a game. You can't have about five assists a game compared to about 3.4. And part of that could also be the fact of, like, is it all me? Is it all me on this? Because, like, you look at the Tennessee game, he had four assists. You look at the Florida game, he had six assists. But then Missouri and Oklahoma, he only had two assists. So to me, that's the one thing that I would work on if I was Colin Sexton, where it's like, hey, you know what? You can drive, but you don't have to shoot all the time. You don't have to be the guy to put it in the hoop every time. Let's get the best basket. And that's why I would go ahead and work on the assist game a little more if I was Colin Sexton. I like the points that he gives up, although I expect him did. At the height of his development, I expect him to score a lot more points at the next level. He's not as great shooting from three as... Trey Young is, but, but even, that's,
2: but but I think it's it's not the fact. I want to mm-hmm. jump in there and say it's not the fact that he's not he's not as good. It's that's not his game. No. as much. It's I not. mean, I mean, I'm trying to look at the most threes that he's taken this season. The most I think is seven,
1: and he went zero for in, seven in a, in a game. He, he went, went zero, 0 for, for seven. seven against Mississippi State, but he went three for seven um, against Mizzou. And I I get it. I'm not trying to say that's his game, but. Like, I look at 33.7 and I go, maybe let's work on that to up that up a little bit, at least get to the—like, at the least, let's get to maybe 35. 40 would be golden for um, three points. But he's going to be a guy that's a driver, which is that's what you're going to do. That's why I would work at the assist numbers because what I would like to do at the next level is have you be a guy like Russell Westbrook has been doing, where it's like I'm going to drive in— everyone's going to collapse on me. I'm going to just kick it out to a guy who's open for three. And that's the one thing, the main thing that I think sex and have to work on at the next level is the assist numbers.
2: I think you're right. I think that's a, a, a good thing to to bring up because that's one, one piece that I believe that Trey young is, is better at. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you take a look at the, um the game that they played against each other and, eight assists for Trey Young, two assists for Colin Sexton. So you, you, you see that Trey Young does that a little bit better, a little bit more often than Sexton does. So it's a good point to bring up, but you also look that, uh, and I'm just going off the matchup because it's an easy one to kind of look at. Young went six of 17 shooting, four of nine from three, mm-hmm. while Sexton went eight of 14 shooting, mm-hmm. one of four from three. So similar Sexton shot less and was, I think, uh, a little bit uh, more efficient than than Trey Young was. But again, Trey Young has put up some huge shot totals. Mm -hmm. Some huge shot totals. And then again, when you go through and you look at how many shots Colin Sexton has put up this season... The most he's put up in one game, 22. It was against Minnesota. He went 12-22. That's the game he had 40.
1: Here's the thing I'm going to ask you, and this is what's going to close out the podcast for us. I'm throwing it to you first. You're an NBA GM. Whatever team you want, like whatever team name you want, because you're a new team and you're in the draft, you're looking for a point a point guard. That's the, that's the one you're going with. You're on the clock. Trey Young is available. Colin Sexton's available. The clock is starting now. Who do you go with?
2: Well, if I'm a new team uh, from the team that I was before <laughs> when we did this earlier in the mm-hmm. season, um I can I can switch and say that I'm gonna go Collin Sexton. Why? The reason why I'd go Colin Sexton is because I think that he brings a little bit more of a consistent you know what you're going to get out of him mm-hmm. type of deal. Whereas with Trey Young, Trey Young could come out and he could go 7 of 14 shooting and go 4 of 6 from 3. Or he could come out and go 8 of 29 shooting and one of 11 from three. Mm-hmm. Whereas Colin Sexton, I don't think there's as much of a, I, I, I guess, a, a gap there. Or as much of a, oh, what are we going to get? It's more, you know what you're going to get um, each and every night for the most part. I also like his his uh, his build, his speed. I like that from Colin Sexton. He's more of an NBA-ready talent. And that's what you're. That's what you're working towards. Because what do we say? And what do I say? A lot <laughs> of the times, Ricky, good college player, but we lose him in the NBA, or they just don't make it.
1: I am going to go on the opposite side of you. If I am on the clock, both are available. I need a point guard. I'm going with Trey Young, and the reason why I'm going with Trey Young is, and this is more of my philosophy as if I would be a GM or a coach and this kind of fits into what I've even said last year when I know we didn't do deer and Fox in the fast break, but when Sean asked me, all right, Ricky, you're on the clock. Who do you go with? Number one, Markel Fultz or Lonzo ball. I said Lonzo ball. And right now I'm looking pretty smart for that because Markel Fultz hasn't played that much. However, same thing here. I would go Trey young based on the fact of, not because of the highlight reel. Not because of, oh, he scored 40-some points against this team and 40-some against that team. I like the fact that in to, like in today's NBA, you need to be able to shoot the three ball and you need to have a guy who can assist. Whatever that is. Whether you're Cleveland that's LeBron who's going to throw around the assist or whether it's your Golden State and Steph Curry is going to be the guy to shoot threes and assist. I love the court vision that he has. I love the range that he has. And it would be then my job to put the best team around him so that he doesn't have to go ahead and do it each and every night. Do I Going back to our old discussion, do I think he's going to be the number one pick? I don't think so. However, I could see him being kind of like a Steph Curry where – Hey, I'm seventh. I'm at the bottom of that top 10. And then I come to the NBA and I just work my tail off and become a good pro. But I would go with Trey Young because to me, he fits what the NBA is more than a Colin Sexton, where the three ball rules right now in the NBA.
2: But do you think that Trey Young's going to be allowed to put up that many shots in the NBA? 39 shots. I know that he doesn't do it every time, but Mm -hmm. 39 shots go 14 of 39. Yeah, you got a lot of points, but you also, you know, turn the ball over this many times and we lost.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the big thing where, and like I said, the number one thing, number one for each guy, assists for Colin Sexton, turnovers for Trey Young. You can't be giving the ball up five times a game and giving that many chances to the other team. And I don't think that in the NBA he's going to be jacking up as many threes. I believe and with Trey Young it comes down to is he going to be matched up with the right coach that can work with him to the fact of, hey, you know what? Maybe let's not jack up 20 threes. Let's find the best threes for you, but use that court vision to find guys who are open and making the confidence because like I'm looking right now at of course, I'm going to do it because everyone's comparing it to him, and I've said enough. Like, Steph Curry averages, this year he's averaging 10 threes a game. He's averaging 10 threes a game and making about 4.2 threes per game this year. The last two years he's averaged that much, and that's with KD on the team. Overall, he's averaged about 7.8 attempts per game in the NBA, 3.4 um, on average, and he's making about 43%, 43.6% of his threes. So, I mean, there's, and I'm going to use that P word, potential for Trey Young to fit what this NBA is. However, this is another one. Like, Ag, Ayton and Bagley, just because you pick one or the other doesn't mean you're necessarily wrong. However, in that conversation, I will throw out that Sean is a firm believer that, may, like, me and him were talking, I believe, with Dave, um, and he was like, you know what? If there's one player in this draft that could be a bust, it'd be Marvin Bagley. In this situation, Young or Sexton, I don't necessarily think there's a right or wrong answer. It comes down to what type of player would you want? Would you want an athletic scorer, or would you want a guy who can shoot from range and have crazy ball, vi- ball court vision to get his teammates the ball.
2: One of my final points I want to bring up, and I do mm-hmm. like I like Trey Young. I like him a lot. I think he's a he's a fun player to watch. Uh, but in his last nine games, and remember Oklahoma's two and six in their last eight. In his last mm-hmm. nine games, he's averaged close to eight turnovers per game. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a big reason why Oklahoma has struggled. And again, in the NBA. Teams don't want that. Teams don't want they, – they can't have that many turnovers a game. You can bring a lot of points, but when you're giving the ball away just as much, that's not helpful. And that's why that is very worrisome if that continues.
1: And the thing I'm going to say to that is turnover like – both of the problems that I've listed are easily fixable. Like with Sexton, all right, just, I mean – yeah your court vision might not be like Trey Young, but hey, pass the ball a little bit more, whereas Trey Young, it's hey, don't try to do ever like with Trey Young, I think his problem is don't try to do everything yourself. Don't try to be the if de facto. We've got other players on this team that can do it too. That's why you're averaging almost ten assists per game. Don't have to feel like, hey, you know what I have to do this I have to I have to drive, I have to take the three. Cause sometimes it's like you're doing, you do too much, and then you give the ball away. Any any final thoughts before we close the podcast? No, nope, I got them out. Okay, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what do you guys think about Trey Young. What do you guys think about Colin Sexton? And if you guys were drafting and had to take a point guard, both were on the board. Who would you pick, Trey Young and Colin Sexton? Let us know why in the comment section. Want to thank you guys for watching, and listening. A little housekeeping here at the end. First, if you want to help support the channel, want to also become like Matthew, who we had on today for the podcast, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. That link down below in the description. It helps make us and helps us do what we love to do for you guys each and every week. Number two, if you have an Apple podcast account, you listen on iTunes, make sure to give the primetime podcast a five-star rating. Make sure to check the store. The link is in the description as well to get yourself an MVP t-shirt and go ahead and book par- bookmark com. That's your one-stop shop for everything that MVP puts out each and every day. want to thank my fans and Brandon's fans for watching on YouTube. want to thank you guys for listening to podcast services around the world. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Yeah, they're my fans. They're i like to fans. thank
2: my fans. Fuck you, Brandon. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.